There's a bus stop like right outside my apartment. Oh <laughs> no! Right there. <laughs> and there's one bus on this route that is the loudest bus. It like screams. Like there's something wrong with it. Every other bus, pretty quiet. This bus, loud, like screeching loud. I could just oh. see you sending a very specific email, like. So the, the bus 15, I think you need to fix its brakes. <laughs> it's like something with the engine. It also smells terrible. Like Ugh. not, a, not a lot of the buses have like that diesel smell, but this one does. There's something wrong with it and they won't take care of it. They need to take it out to pasture. <laughs> all right. Now I'll hit record. Oh, I've already recorded. I'm yeah, already recording. This is, this is all safe forever now. <laughs> this is bonus content. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I make RPGs, I listen for loud buses, and I am also one half of Wannabe Games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games. I make role-playing games and live in a very quiet neighborhood with no buses going by. And uh, here for the bus update with our returning guest, Jeff. Jeff, how are the buses in your area? <laughs> oh, my my city has a has great busing, but I will say because I want to contribute to the conversation, I live right next to train tracks, so Ooh, I've got that there. going for me, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and that was bus update with RPG R and D. Jeff, welcome back. Hello. Hi. Thanks. It's great to be back. It's always nice to talk to both of you. Um, tell us about your non-public transportation related stuff for our audience. Uh, so I, uh, for for longtime listeners and for those just joining, I um, am the sole employee of JeffQuest, G-E-O-F-F-Q-U-E-S-T. And I published the game Boldly Go, which is a Star Trek inspired game. And I have some uh, more products for that product line coming out sometime this year, if I can Woo-hoo. finish writing them quickly enough exciting sometimes the only thing between you and and your amazing new products is how slowly you can write (laughs) yes i understand that problem i just finally got the print stuff ready for the means of magic it just was taking a long time to make sure everything was 300 dpi and cmyk 240 it's annoying but i understand i understand your pain you know what jess it strikes me that the writer with writer's block is kind of cliche. That is very cliche. Incredibly. Craig just did did the look I usually give when I give a great segue. And now <laughs> I'm going to point out a great segue because that's our topic for today. We're talking about breaking away from cliches for, their, for your characters as a GM. How can we encourage your players to break away from cliche? How can they go beyond the writer with writer's block, the starving artist cliche? <laughs> And and for you as the GM uh, with with NPCs and setting and lore stuff too, like this can be something that the GM can can spread the love to everybody to their to their own work and to the what the players are putting together for characters. Jeff, I'm I'm curious about what your definition of a cliche is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think I fall on the line where uh, it's cliche, but I it's it is a a storytelling trick or or trope or string of words that you've seen over and over and over again. And sometimes those things are very helpful because it gives you very quick insight into like a character or a storyline or whatever. But other times it's like, Oh, I, I know where this is going. I know who that guy is. I've, I've watched this story before I've played this story before. Can I please, please do something else? Just something new. Yeah, I think I I agree that cliches are only a problem when they are a problem. So for some people, a cliche is brand new. You get a new player in your fifth edition D&D game who's playing a rogue and they're a little thievy bastard. It might be the first time they're getting to play around with that trope, even though I've seen it a bajillion times. But when it starts to get boring for everyone at the table, we got to break away. We got to we got to do something else. So. I, I don't know. I have fallen into this problem a lot, especially as someone who like role plays a lot. I, I, I tend to 
fall into not not even just like a cliche trope but like a flanderized version of whatever I started off as Mm -hmm. uh and I'm really interested for for myself as a player who um and a GM who uh can get stuck in those cliches I'm I'm excited to get some tips from the two of you I hope I have some (laughs) (laughs) the uh the thing that that struck me and you both of you kind of wandered around it um, and I'm gonna. I'm just gonna sum it up the way I was kind of thinking of it, is the identifiable trope, which is useful, versus the predictable cliche. Um, and there's a fine line there, it, it seems to me. And if the trope is helping, as Jeff says, identify the 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 genre that you're working with or the or the archetype of the character, so that you can kind of wrap your head around it very quickly, that's great. But when it starts to pre- allow people to predict everything about the character or the kingdom or, you know, the the small town or whatever, um, then that's where it starts to get into the in, in, where we get into trouble um, because it starts to make things too easy to just fall into same old, same old and just kind of do what everybody expects, um, which isn't exciting and doesn't make people walk away from a game going, oh my God, was that awesome? Was this this cool thing that was like uh, completely unexpected, right? Those are the stories we tell, right? Are the unexpected moments um, in, the, in, in the, the games that we play. So I think as a GM, a, a useful thing to do is to, to keep a focus, to think about when the, the, the identifiable trope identifiable trope becomes predictable if it's happening too much if there's too much about the trope that is used exactly as everybody expects it to be and one of the easiest ways to avoid that is to twist just one or two things about the trope the you know the one that struck me as i was kind of putting my list together was if if the uh the player is going to play the fighter when they want their fighter to be effective. Like the trope is the big dumb fighter, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're all physical stats. They're um, not terribly intelligent. They're probably, they may not have very high social skills or anything like that. It's just like my, my job is to go and beat stuff up and to soak up damage because that's what the game, you know, the game has a bunch of combat and they, and they need me to do that. But if you're playing in a game, for example, that a lot of the social stuff is handled via role play and you're not really rolling social skills all that often what's to say that fighter can't be incredibly eloquent or even like a trickster or you know like somebody that can twist your words back on you they can be manipulative you can take it in a in kind of a dark turn they can be kind of this socially manipulative character who can back it up with being a you know a stat monkey a high stat monkey for fights and that kind of twists that one cliche and it makes even though we're going to get into a fight and you, you know, like as a GM, you can use this for, for an NPC as well. You can have a fighter that, you know, a big brutish fighter that, you know, you're going to role play as incredibly smart, even though the, you've got everything you need to back it up and be able to, you know, make, you know, make the roles when you want, uh, when you need to make the roles for, for a fight, for example, you've got something that's going to make the players rethink how they approach this. Cause like this, this character is presenting themselves as super smart and kind of wily, like what, what, what are they, what are they going to do? Like, and, but then when, and then they find out that, Oh, they're just going to pummel me with this gigantic hammer um, <laughs> that, that, that twists the trope. Um, and it, you know, you could approach it from either way, like this, the wily character that suddenly becomes a brute or the brute that's, um, you know, <laughs> remarkably uh, eloquent. I think that there's less to control when it comes to like what kind of characters your players want to be like it's harder to get them to change their entire idea for their character but you could give some suggestions for their backstory for example like uh the the big stupid sword fighter you know what could we add to their backstory that would make it more interesting that way you don't have to change the role play you can still play this cliche which is fun to play. It's very easy to play. And it lets you kind of get into the story more and get to the game more. But could we add something to the backstory, to the storyline, the arc that this character is going in that might make it more interesting than just me fighter, me hit you with club. <laughs> I think that there are some things that you could, you could do that would make it more interesting. So for example, maybe, maybe they are on a secret quest that the other players don't know about. Um, and that way, not necessarily, they don't have to be wily, but they have a secret. 
Um, and that could open up for more uh, role-playing possibilities and that breaking away from this cliche. Um, and you have a lot more control over that as the GM because you have a little bit more control over the story. Um, and you're also not like forcing a player to play something that they don't want to play as much. You're not forcing a personality change as you are forcing, uh, not forcing, but you're like encouraging a story change. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. I think... On the one hand, I think sometimes, like you said, playing the, the big dumb fighter is fun and, and can be very relaxing. And, but I also think like, especially when you get a, when you get new players who haven't really done anything before, and we sort of touched on this in the beginning, all they may know are the tropes and the cliches. Like they don't know what they don't know. So they come in and they're like, well, I'm a fighter. So I have a two-handed sword and I guess I'm kind of dumb. And it's like, well, you don't have to be. That's not like, yes, there's all of the, you know, in, in old school D&D was like, oh, your intelligence is your dump stat. Oh, your charisma is your dump stat. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't actually have to do that. You can, there's a framework. You can kind of do anything with you want with the framework. And one of the things that I see a lot of, uh, especially LARPing, especially fantasy LARPing, is the new player who comes in and says, I am an adventurer because my entire village was killed by orcs. No, yes. undead, undead. That's different. And, and you've got like 30 backstories and they're all basically the same, except like the names are changed around. And it's like, you don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to always have, you know, you're alone in the world with the miserable backstory. You can, you can play around with it. And I think a lot of it is people just don't know that, don't know that they can and don't know how they can. And I think like as a game master or as even as a fellow player, you could say, well, hold on. What if like my character and your character did this buddy thing and I kind of take advantage of you because you're the big dumb fighter and then we've got this dynamic and then it's more interesting for everybody else, you know, and you don't have to change your concept. That's key that it does have to be interesting for everybody else because essentially you are you're not just playing for yourself, although that's a huge part of it, you are also trying to craft an interesting story for everybody and at some point you do get like that because in LARPs, you're, you're exactly right. All of my parents are dead. I was an orphan. Ah, I want to avenge my father. Whatever it is, like the, the trope of my whole family is dead and now right. I'm a loner is like so played out, especially if it leads to like, I'm a loner character. I'm a lone wolf, which is something that a lot of new players can get stuck in. That's not good for a story. You want to encourage some um, teamwork. You want to encourage some social interaction. The best way in my, in my experience, the best way to do that is to nip the tragic backstory in the bud. It can be tragic, but maybe it can be tragic in a way that does not define your character as someone who hates the world and is completely misanthropic now. I find myself uh, thinking too that, like particularly speaking to players when they're, if they're relatively new to the game, um, and this could be you know a longtime player who's relatively new to this game and genre or True. a brand new RPG or um, that they that they know the tropes and they they're, they're interested in playing the trope um, and that might translate to them playing the cliche is that as the GM, it, unless there's a, a really good reason um, and if you can make it interesting um, and even give it like a cool narrative twist, they can retcon their character. You know, my parents were killed and I'm an or orphan and I'm all misanthropic and out to like, I hate the world because I had no family. Well, you know, I'm the new player playing this, this, this trope. And I get like, you know, a ways into the campaign and I'm like, uh, I really wish I would have come up with something different. And the GM says, okay, your parents aren't actually dead. You're going to discover in the next session that something else happened to them. What is that? Mm -hmm. um you thought they were dead now we've twisted the trope into like ooh, are, you know like did they were they stolen were they taken away or did they leave on purpose why did they leave you did they did they have a reasoning for it did they have no choice in the matter you know th there's a lot of different directions you can go with that so like retconning something to as long as it's not going to be like obviously like breaking the story like something that's gonna like invalidate some part of the story that's important yeah like retcon it just change your backstory there's nothing wrong with that yeah i mean you can that happened in star wars right <laughs> right <laughs> like if george lucas can do it you can do it too everyone loves star wars yeah no one's ever had a problem with any of the movies ever you know your parents were dead from a certain point of view 
not right. Darth Vader <laughs> killed your father in a metaphorical sense. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I mean, the, the perfect thing is like, like the backstory is not set in stone because it's what the character knows. It's not what the player knows. And if you, like, I've had players who've come up to me and said, hey, I was thinking, I know we've never mentioned this, but can this be a thing that happened to me so that it ties in more with the plot. I'm like, sure. And so the next game, it's like this character, all of a sudden somebody comes up and talks to you about this and everybody's like, what? Oh my God. And that's, you know, and I think this is the thing we're kind of getting at, which is that cliches are actually not the worst thing in the world, but they're building blocks to other interesting stories and if you twist them if you add stuff to them if you mix and match them then you get stories that i think are a lot more memorable and keep people guessing and invested yes i mean they're like you said they are these building blocks and when you do twist somebody's expectation it i think that's more fun than a completely new story that you've never heard of which is impossible anyway my favorite resource to go to to try to figure out those twists is tvtropes.com TV Tropes has, like, they have all these lists of cliches and things, and then they have the subcategories of these, which also include some very popular twists on them. And, like, I mean, at some point, these things no longer become tropes, and they're just, like, uh, yeah, they're, like, things that happen every once in a while, but you can use some of those to get ideas for, uh, yeah, here is the big silly fighter, here's a twist that people... Like I could probably pull up the TV tropes for it right now. And I would be able to find like a variation of the, of the stupid barbarian, you know, like you could, you could go through that to find the twists already prepackaged for you. Now, is that a cliche of itself? Maybe, but no one has heard every single story and I don't care. (laughs) And for the record that, that website, if you just go looking for tropes can be daunting because it's, it's an extensive list. Um, but you can just pick a TV series or a movie franchise or, or a comic book that you like that has cool, like that has some of the things that you're looking for and just look that up and they'll, cause they, they break it out by like, you can go look at this movie and it'll tell you what the tropes are in that movie. And, and, and the best parts is when they, they, cause they, they go so far as to tell you when the, the creators turned the trope on its ear or twisted something around. So you can see examples of that as well. I also like when they do, especially for like the big franchises, like if you go Game of Thrones, it's like they break it down by character and they say, here is Jon Snow. Here's all of the tropes that, you know, people think Jon Snow fulfill. And it's like 40 or 50 of them. So you, so it's like, if you say, oh, he's he's the misanthropic orphan, you know, maybe, but he's also all of these other things, and that's what makes him a compelling character. Yeah, saying saying this and or this but is a great is a great prompt for a character. Like, yeah, my I am a thief because I grew up on the streets because I was orphaned at a young age and I had to learn how to survive uh, myself. And or but <laughs> But I, but I also give am, all, yeah. oh no, you, you go. I want to hear yours. I, but I give everything I steal to the poor. I'm Robin Hood in this city, in this giant metropolitan city. But because I'm, I don't, because, because I don't want anybody else to have to go through what I went through. Oh, that's cute. Actually, I like that. I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, but I'm saving up all my money to go to wizard school. There you go. I really liked that in um, The Name of the Wind. The Name of the Wind does that trope really well. Like you feel like it's going to go down one direction and it's a completely different trope that they're going to play on instead. I really recommend reading reading that not finished trilogy, everyone. Be be with me. Eventually it'll happen, I'm sure. (laughs) I had one, which is, but actually I lied and I'm from a nobleman's family and I'm living on the street to feel what it's really like to be a real person. And, but I can go back to my life anytime I want, if this gets hard. Oh, I love which, that. The, the which means, people. which means I now recognize that I can't ever truly understand what it's like to live on the street, unless I get myself completely excommunicated from my family, which I'm going to do by doing this. And I'm going to get ousted from my family. So I'm really on the street. I love right. that one too. You can go so far. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all from the same basic prompt. I'm a poor kid who lives on the streets and I steal things, which is, I don't want to say it's every thief character ever, but it's a lot of them. It's a lot of the thief characters because that's a, that's a trope and cliche that we're all very familiar with, that we're all comfortable with. 
And like Jeff was saying, that that's a good starting point. It's a really good starting point, actually. I'm I'm the spunky princess who wants to prove her worth. But and then you can go from there. I, I think that's a great way to get people to to also give themselves a narrative arc to follow down, which you really want because you don't want a backstory to be the complete story of a character ever. And a cliche can often be an endpoint. You need to leave it open. You need you need to leave that room for the growth. Um, that that I I love this right here. I just made a note to myself for stuff that I'm working on right now. Is I am this trope, but yeah, as as just a something as a guideline in a in a game book, just like for for players to to think about. And like this this if it's not in the game book for the game that you're playing as a GM, you can you can introduce it as part of session zero. It's like hey, you want to play play a trope? That's great, but add the word but after the after the uh, the trope that you want to play and twist that a little bit so you'll you'll still be recognizable you'll still feel like you're playing that trope but there will be like a greater depth to it yeah i think uh the the 13th age one unique thing it's a it's a mechanic i've stolen a lot when i've jammed games <laughs> like what's your one unique thing what sets you apart from literally everyone else in the entire world no one else has this one unique thing and I think that that can also help characters break out of cliches. Like I played in, in my favorite 13th Age game. I was just a regular druid. Like I was just, you know, a el- half-elf druid. You know, that's all I wanted to be. And then I had to think of a one unique thing. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just wanted to play this trope. Uh, okay, yeah. I grew out of the last, the last budded flower of this ancient tree of the forest. And that like... I don't know. It like opened up the character for me in this really, in this really fun way. Like I had a chip on my shoulder because I was the last one who grew out of this tree. And that makes me better than everybody, but I'm also <laughs> a druid and I care about the forest, but also I'm better than you. Like that, <laughs> it, it made, it made, it forced me, I should say, it forced me to think about my character in a way that I wouldn't have already. Um, I, I love that if you haven't read 13th age, like just look at the, that mechanic in it, in and of itself is something you can borrow from any game as a GM. What, what makes you different than literally everyone else? And just let them have that. Cause there's plenty of orphans out there. It's a, sure. sad, it's a sad, sad world of your <laughs> fantasy world. Everyone, everyone's an orphan. There are dragons. Come on. But <laughs> One of the things that I, I like too, that, I mean, it's always been a part of role-playing games, but it seems to be more sort of codified now, like, I guess in the meta is the session zero where you sit down and you say, we're going to play this game. These are the rules. This is the setting, make characters. And the thing I like about that is you get to sit down with the person who's running the game and with the other people who are playing the game, instead of saying, oh, we're playing on Friday and I brought a gnome illusionist. You know, because then you sit down at the table and like, and this, this is one of the things that I love about role-playing games, no matter what role I'm in, which is that I only have the ideas in my head and I can only see the world the way I see the world. But when you sit down with other people, it's like, oh, I never would have thought of that. Oh, that's a really great idea. Oh, wow. Yeah, we could totally do that. And that could, you know, save the day. And in character creation, it's like, well, I'm a a no illusionist. And it's like, well, I was really thinking about playing this guy who ran like a joke shop. So maybe you're like the, the, the cashier at my joke shop. And occasionally you do magic for like the kids. And then at the end of session zero, it's like, even if your characters don't know one another in game, you know the types of characters that you're going to be encountering most often and how you're going to bounce off of one another and the GM knows. And it also makes it so that you don't always go to the same five things you like to play in your head. And, and yeah, I'm sort of rambling around no. the issue, but yeah, basically where it's like other people can help you break out of that, that, role you've defined for yourself i love those sessions those are my favorite types of character building sessions that's how i ended up playing a 
a wannabe TV star who had a secret parasite living in her body that oh God. <laughs> like, because we were talking about our characters together um, and trying to make some decisions about it. Like you get so many cool ideas that way. Steal Jeff's idea. What I'm saying. <laughs> Go, yeah. Have a session zero where everyone builds their characters together and let, and let your players vamp for however many hours they need to vamp. Yeah. I've said vamp a lot today. I don't think I'm using it correctly, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Works for me. Any other uh, hot tips for breaking out of cliches? Um, as a GM, you can, well, I got to phrase this right. Because you don't want to discourage the player from playing the character that they want to play. But if they choose to play a particular particular trope a particular type of character for which there will be consequences make sure those consequences happen if they're it's likely it's very possible that they are playing that cliche that trope because they want the consequences to happen because that's a part of the trope um and then you can do all these twist type things and you can have the consequences be something very different and out of the ordinary too like we like we we love hitting on the cliches of like you know the the thief who just like Okay, what's another trope for a cli- uh, another cliche for for a thief? The, cl- the the thief who just can't keep their fingers out of everybody else's pockets. They're mm. stealing from from the other characters. They're stealing from every NPC they run across, um, and you know the the consequences are they're going to get caught and thrown in prison. Well, that sucks for the player. The player can't play the character sitting in prison. So maybe instead everybody in the town knows this and no one will talk to this person or go near them and no one will trust the group because they have this person in there and so the that puts the player in the position of like i'm playing this character that's like the sticky fingered thief but it's now all of a sudden impeding all of the sorts of things that i want to do so i'm going to adjust the character personality i can still be the sticky finger thief but maybe i only steal from the people who really deserve to be stolen from like the other other villains and bad guys and people who have already stolen maybe i procure maybe i re-procure things from people who have stolen it's a challenge i get to do my thief thing i get to go steal from that thief and give it back to the person who owned it like and that suddenly takes the cliche of the sticky finger thief and makes it a little different yeah i it's funny that we keep like saying thieves i feel like thieves and rogues and assassins and like these like broody like darker like the darker style characters get the most tropes and like you get the most overplayed because when you do hit the cliches they can be annoying in a lot of ways but unfortunately like with games like 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 D when you have certain classes you're automatically setting up your players to fall into one of these tropes that that's what makes it even more important to help them break out of it another one that i don't really like is the paladin who's like holier than thou (laughs) but you can twist that one in so many good directions like they're holier than thou but they have a gambling a crippling gambling addiction like whatever it is (laughs) they have serious imposter syndrome (laughs) like they they put on a facade that they are so wonderful and so great and they hold everyone to super high standards but secretly deep down they doubt everything they do yeah. Like, and every so often it bubble, it bubbles to the surface. I, I I hate it, but I also love it at the same time. I love playing the thief in a game with a holier than thou paladin. <laughs> That's my favorite character dynamic. Like that, I'm a, a little dirty dynamic. bastard and you hate me, but you love me too. <laughs> and I hate you for, for real though. I want to kill you. And uh, as <laughs> demonstrated in the previous game, really these two characters are in love. Of course. Of course. Of yes. Course. Yes. <laughs> All the back and forth, all the pretense, all the <laughs> supposed clashes. It's really because they just can't admit their feelings for each other. Uh, well, actually, that I just wanted to quickly touch on something that this brought up, which is that I don't want to say it's a problem, but especially especially with D&D and games like D&D that are very mechanics-based and class-based and role-based, it's easy to fall into cliches because the game kind of wants you to. Because if you don't, Sometimes you may not have a mechanical role in the game and you may be left out. And so it's like, okay, so you're going to be a thief. Here's the five types of thief you can be. Here's the things that you should have. Here's the things that you should do. And on the one hand, if you're like, I don't know what to do. This sounds cool, but I'm not sure how to make it or play it. The game's like, well, we'll tell you, this is how you do it. And that's great. But if you're like, 
I don't know anything and I or I kind of want to break out. I, I kind of want to play a thief, but I want to play it differently. Some types of games, not all, are not necessarily as good at telling the player like, but you don't have to role play it this way. You don't have to behave this way. You can use your skills when they're situationally appropriate, you know, but a lot of it is like, nope, we're sculpting you into, into thief type a one go have fun, raid the dungeon. That's a really good point. And that's something to think about with your design. Like, are you accidentally setting up your game? So players have to play a trope. You, you put it really well. Like, so they're, they have a mechanical role, which is exactly right. Like you are put into this little tiny box to go into a dungeon, to go fight, to go collect gold and come back. And if you want to break free, like you can dual class and stuff, but there's only so much you can do regarding that. As we deftly ship into discussing design for cliches and avoiding cliches or using cliches in in design work. The best segues you don't plan. You just let them happen. You just (laughs) let them fall onto you. And you know what makes them those great those those really good segues the best is when we point out that there were there was just an effortless accidental. Segue. That's the best. <laughs> the audience at home is like, did they know? Did they know the cliche? Oh, we knew. We knew about the 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 segue the whole time. Uh, I find myself thinking, and I don't know anything about it because it's just a a Twitter thread from matt colville but they're talking mcdm the designers they're designing their own game and they're they they're occasionally leaking little bits and pieces of the design work and they had a play test and they posted screenshots of like a a vtt map of like a, a fantasy game and there was a character that's referred to as the tactician who feels decidedly fighterish from how they're describing what the tactician is doing, but the name tactician tells me something. And so suddenly we don't have the big dumb fighter. We have the big tactically smart fighter. Um, so there's ways to build, you know, even a character class that has a particular role to play, but that doesn't necessarily fall into the specific trope too hard. Anyway, it doesn't like, you know, the the character can still maybe kick some butt can still, can still fight, but they have other things that are, that are part of the character build. Um, And that requires a lot of thought on the design end and a lot of trying different things. And how are you going, what, what's going to overlap? You know, it's, it's a, oh, it's a tough road to hoe. And it's why I've avoided class-based stuff mostly um, in my design because having the classes that have their roles so that they feel like I'm really good at this thing. I can, you know, these are, this is where I excel and nobody else excels like this in this area, quite like me, because that's what people are playing that class for. Um, But then having some amount of overlap to have other things so that they, they, they aren't just the trope or the cliche. And they also have ways to contribute to other um, situations. They're not just the thief character. They're not just the puzzle figure or outer, you know, they're not just the, 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 the sword and shield. Yeah. I think one of the best and easiest ways to encourage going beyond that, not only thinking about like the kinds of names you're giving things, but, and this is part of the original topic is by creating a setting and some lore that is more free of these cliches. So you aren't so you're encouraging the players to think beyond what they would normally think about in their fantasy setting or their cyberpunk setting. Like what is different about your world that will give them a new avenue to kind of go down. So uh, fantasy is like the hardest one for that. We have our fantasy tropes that have been in the genre since, since Tolkien. Uh, what can you do beyond that? Like if you just do the same kind of setting, you're going to have the same kind of characters. Avoiding cliche in game design is maybe my most, like the most challenging thing that I've run into. And it's why I think I gravitate so much toward doing very weird little niche kind of things where it's like, I want to make a fantasy game, but I'm going to make it like, like it's a recreation of the never ending story and labyrinth. And like, it's a very specific fantasy story rather than like the broader fantasy kind of a genre of like the sort of medieval swords and sorcery with magic and whatnot, because those tropes are so hard. Like I, I literally stripped all sorts of cliches out of fantasy. I, I, I 
I discussed um, things with a sensitive sensitivity consultant and went through like there's as written, the game has no orcs, goblins, drow. Um, you know, it has, it's it just, I stripped it. I, it doesn't have any of the normal D and D races because those become, those come with baggage. Those comes with cliche. They're, they're cliche. Like what's the dwarf? Well, the dwarf lives in an underground city and he's really good with gems and gold, loves gems and gold. And he can use a, a hammer and a pick. But like when I make a game that has a dwarf in it, uh, I, I want that dwarf to be a twist <laughs> on that cliche. I'm not sure exactly what part of that I'm going to twist. You know, at, at at whenever it comes to me designing a game that has a more traditional fantasy dwarf in it, um, but I'm going to do something, and so that's you know, if if you're looking at designing things, that's the challenge. I think is like if you just recreate everything about the tropes, you're just recreating another game, maybe with different dice. And you know, there's other mechanical things that you can put in there that might make it varied and different enough to be you know, kind of its own fun uh, version of the fantasy genre. Don't get me wrong. There's there's a variety of medieval fantasy sword and sorcery games that have a lot in common, um, but they have certain defining characteristics that make them like a unique gameplay experience. But when you're going to go into, a, if you're going to go into any genre that, that has very well-defined tropes, fantasy, space opera, space exploration, um, time travel, uh, horror, uh, they've got very specific, you know, there's things that people are expecting and, I don't always have, I don't necessarily have a lot of great ideas for how to twist all of those things. Although if we just sat here and brainstormed ideas, we'd probably come up with a whole bunch. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a list ready to come out of my pocket right at the moment, but the point is that give some thought to it as a designer and figure out where you're going to vary things up. And um, one other thing that I, I thought of that I think is an interesting take. I, I'm interested to hear, hear what you have to say is if you're, if your, uh, your mode of doing things is, well, I'm going to create this and it's going to be this cliche, but with a twist. And this is going to be this cliche, but with a twist. And this is going to be this cliche with, with a twist. But then I'm going to create this thing over here and it's going to be the cliche and it's going to be nothing but the cliche. Having no twist <laughs> is the twist right. in your world. Right. Um, so you will have players of that game who will always be looking for, okay, here's the necromancer's kingdom where it's just like this necromancer and nothing but undead. And this necromancer is ancient and, you know, uh, 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 commands this army of the undead. Okay. Well, what's their thing? What's what makes them different? Nothing. They're a straight up necromancer <laughs> with an army of the undead. You know, <laughs> sometimes that's okay. Uh, for, the means of magic, what we did was we took some of those fantasy tropes because we wanted to make a fantasy game, but we didn't want to make a fantasy game. We wanted to make a game that was more like Final Fantasy VII than D&D. So I took some of my favorite tropes in fantasy. So I love the Fae. I love a wizard academy. I love those things. And I wanted to like take them out of their context and put them into this other world where we have you know, you have these corporations that are digging up magic from the earth and, and ruining the earth through climate change. Uh, so the academy, yes, there's a there's an academy of wizards and they're super cool. And they, you know, they're teaching everybody magic, but they're also corporate sponsored. They, <laughs> they are also like very within their ways. They are very much like the universities of today, except more dystopian than even reality. Um, or the Fei, um, so they're Fey, but they're also cyborgs. And they, every time that a circuit board is created in this world, every time you get beyond a little bit too much technology, it becomes alive and it gets a, it, it becomes through magic, an actual sentient being. And it becomes linked up to this hive mind of all these Fey and they go off kind of on Fey principles, but also Asimov. And like, I like, I wanted to take those tropes that I really do like and and then think like okay in my world where where there is this kind of what is like a cyberpunk dystopia sort of um what would those tropes be like in this new setting so taking a thing and putting it somewhere new you can do that with a horror um if you really like the the vengeful ghost trope of horror like take that and put it in a new setting what's that like if you're in a submarine beneath the sea, what's that like if you are in uh, an oil field? What's the slasher film like when you are, gosh, they've done slasher films everywhere. I was going to say slasher film in space, but that's been done like a million times. Um, 
<laughs> but like to, like taking it out of its context can you can still use that whole trope but you're putting it in a new setting and that can like help you start that can be like the whole thing like I, t- I it's this but it's in 1920s New York or you could keep going down that road and think okay what else would be different what else what else would be different and that can really get you some interesting design places interesting um, creative writing space yeah like I mean the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about is what if fantasy but also horror and that's Ravenloft and that was like like exploded it was so popular because people were like i like both of these things and i can do them at the same time and like when you were talking about the fey eye i was like oh there's so many options for like why my cell phone stopped working and why my computer is 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 very you know finicky and stuff and that's that's the thing that i like is when you when you say okay this but that people start going Oh, I would love to interact with with this piece of that setting and really like I'm excited about that and I want to make a character that will deal with that so that I get to play around with this stuff. You know, whether it's like a mechanical system or like just a setting thing, it's like I I am tech support. I know how to bargain with the Fay to get your MacBook to, oh to log on to the internet. That's okay. Our, cause our game's not a modern at all. I want, I want to play that game. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of the inspiration. Like, um, so self-driving cars have these sensors, right? They have like cameras and stuff and they're made to stop at white lines. Cause you're not supposed to cross a white line. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you could put a ring of salt around a self-driving car and now it's stuck was like part of the inspiration there. I do want to play in this modern world where tech support is just negotiating. <laughs> I want this now. I want the, I, I want the genius. What do they call it? The genius bar? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Apple. The yeah. genius bar. Yeah. yeah. I, I want, I want that to be, <laughs> I want that to be contract negotiation. With <laughs> I want the terms and services to be very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just click agree? Never do that. <laughs> did you do this why (laughs) oh no (laughs) the last the last sentence in the terms and services by by reading these terms and services you agree to them it's just magic you just automatically you don't even have to click you just because you read it you have to now you automatically magically agree (laughs) (laughs) i love those what if questions they they can bring you to so many fun places and again like the the fei the fei i keep saying fei because that's my character's thing um like the fei tech support is not a trope that is beyond cliche no one's ever done that before and now you you could do whatever other cliche you wanted within that and no one's gonna know any better it's gonna be something new i i love that and what you were saying too is exactly how i design characters i i i read through a setting book and i think i want to do this in the setting let me make my character around this. It's a very good way to inspire players to do something cool. For for Die Laughing 2, which is a supplement for Die Laughing that I'm working on right now, I'm finishing it up. And this is the this is the case for Die Laughing as well. If you look at it, each of the monsters, there's like six possible settings. You can roll a die or pick one for the setting that you want to be. And I specifically did the cliche that we all know, and then you know, stuff that twists it. And like, you know, in Die Laughing 2, for example, this here's a sneak peek for the Space Hunter, which is basically Predator. Um, so Predator movies. The settings are Jungle. That's the first Predator movie. Downtown Los Angeles. That's the second Predator movie. Alien Game Preserve. That's another Predator movie. And then at the bottom of the list is Family Reunion. <laughs> that, because that is not a Predator movie. No, that is something <laughs> way different. <laughs> Medea's family reunion meets the predator. <laughs> Medea versus the predator. <laughs> I would watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, I would play that die laughing game. <laughs> um, and and the idea there being, and this was a game design choice that I made, was like I'm going to give them the cliche, and everybody, and I and I tell them elsewhere in the game to you know twist the cliches, put thing, tip tip it on their ear, tip tip things on their ear, because that's going to make everything fun and funny for die laughing which is a horror comedy game but then i also give them 
you know, at some that are either, either like different and just like, oh, here's just something that you wouldn't necessarily think of, or like clearly like, oh, the comedy's built into family reunion, you know, like everybody has been to a family reunion. Well, what happens when the predator shows up? Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's where you go with it. And so um, you know, die laughing for me was one of those games that like I I, I play on I play with tropes quite a bit in a lot of different games, but I went really out of my way with doing both both playing very hard to the cliche and also twisting it like as far to the left as I can um with different bits and pieces of the game well yeah with horror people play the trip so much there are whole movies that are just about those trips like um Cabin in the Woods is just playing with these tropes and making fun of them in so many ways horror is great for that I think fantasy could do the same, but there just hasn't been as much fantasy pop culture. And I say that when like Lord of the Rings was a hit like 10, 20, 20 years ago. Oh God, 20 time, time. If the the trailer is, if the trailer is any indication, I have a feeling the D and D movie is going to do exactly that because it looks like the movie is going to have the sense of humor to poke fun at its own tropes. And D&D's tropes are the fantasy genres tropes. And I think that's great because one of the things that I've always, whenever they said, we're going to do a D&D movie or a D&D TV show or cartoon, it's like, well, you basically have all of your blocks, every block, every fantasy block, you just gathered it into a big pile. What's the story with that? What's the world with that? Well, so you make your own. And it's like, so so what is the movie going to look like? And and I think if they, if when they sit down and they say, okay, it's D&D, but it's funny. That's, that that turns it into a story that I can relate to as opposed to, a, well, well, this is a third level fighter and a fifth level wizard. And they're going to the Necromancer's Tower. Uh, there's a dragon in the movie somewhere because it's in the title. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I... I... I'm looking forward to the send up. I, I I love a send up. Yeah. Comedy is great for that. It's, it's harder. It's harder when you're trying to do something serious. Just a quick aside, say what you will about the original, the first Dungeons and Dragons movie from 20 ish years ago. Um, there's a lot to not like about that movie, but Jeremy Irons is not part of that because he chews every last bit of scenery and he is every single D and D villain. He is like totally the cliche of the Dean, uh, the, the overwrought <laughs> D&D villain. I have definitely channeled him before that movie and afterwards Jeremy for my Irons villains. Jeremy is remarkable. He can play so nice and subtle and he can be so ridiculously over the top. He's the best part of every bad movie I like. <laughs> yeah, he's and amazing. every bad movie I hate. Like I was thinking about him and Aragon, the movie Aragon. God, oh, that's what a terrible what a movie. Gr- what a great compliment. He's in the best part of every bad movie. <laughs> I I never think like, oh God, that movie sucked because of Jeremy. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Which is one thing you could say about the cliches too, because it's like if you're gonna be if you're gonna do the cliche, take it seriously and like like play it. If you play it note perfectly, like like Jeremy Irons as Profion in the Dungeons and Dragons movie, that'll that'll totally work. That'll also be very memorable. Yes, yes. That's, that's our advice. Chew your cliches like Jeremy Irons chews scenery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at, at some point you do have to work with what you're given, especially yeah. if you're playing, like you're playing a short game at a con or you're at your FLGS and you're doing like, what do they call it? Like the adventure... Adventures League? Adventures, yeah, Adventures yeah. League. And people are going to come with their cliche characters. You have to work with what you have, so have fun with it. Have as much fun as possible with it, and don't roll your eyes at the table because then you're just making, you're really bringing attention to the cliche, and that's what makes it bad. When you are clearly disdainful for what your players are doing, that's never what you should be doing. That's a great takeaway at the end of all of this is like, regardless of how you GM with and deal with cliches as, as a GM or players do, um, or how you design for it is when it's there, when it sneaks in, don't poo poo it <laughs> because it does serve its purpose. This has been a really fun conversation. 
full of very few of the regular RPG R&D cliches that we fall into, except for the <laughs> pointing out of the segue. Uh, <laughs> that could just be your brand, though. That's Yeah, that is our brand. Our yeah, brand when is does, just a cliche. When does you your sell. brand become a cliche? <laughs> <laughs> I worry about that with wannabe games, because we've done two megacorp dystopias and i need to i need to not anymore i need to do something slightly different but uh jeff where can we find you in your totally non-cliched games i wish i could say they weren't cliches because i based them on other properties but you can find them at jeff quest g-e-o-f-f-q-u-e-s-t.com and do you have anything else you want to plug uh, so I have a, uh, I have my bold to go Star Trek inspired game, which, uh, plays with all of those cliches that, you know, and love, and that's hopefully part of the draw. And I'm also working on a generic fantasy game that should be out soon that plays with all of those cliches because, uh, because I'm very derivative. I guess. We I'm like right th- those I'm things. right there with you. I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find the line. Trying to find what sets my fantasy game idea apart. I'm getting literally there. my project right now is the beach episode, <laughs> which is just about cliches and tropes of a beach episode. So I'm I'm also there, but I'm I am there in a breaking the fourth wall way. <laughs> play volleyball. <laughs> exactly, play volleyball. Uh, <laughs> bathing suits, you know, all the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You can find me and my games at wannabegames.com or on itch or drive through RPG uh, under the same name. You can find me on Twitter at, at Joska or on Tumblr at, at Joska or at TikTok at Just Is Awful. I'm uh, at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter and the web, uh, the, 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 the games can be found at drive through RPG. My website is nerdburgergames.com and there are um, nice, fancy versions of the capers. Uh, Good Strong Hands and Code Warriors games there as well. Don't forget about those. Um, and also on March 7th, I will be launching a crowdfund campaign through Backer Kit Crowdfunding. I'm trying something else. Um, and this is going to be for Die Laughing 2 colon Die Laughinger, which is just a little supplement for Die Laughing. And you'll be able to get the core game as part of that too. So if you didn't, uh, if you never heard of it before or never got around to getting it, it'll be a chance for you to, to get one or both of those books. Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avil by Steph Sachs, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs, and thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.